going to be looking in Luke chapter 19 from verse 28. So if you've got a Bible, um, do turn into Luke chapter 19 and we'll, we'll read from there. If you don't, it's going to appear on the screen. So as I read it, you'll be able to read along as well. So Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering it you will find a colt tied. Now, a colt is just a, a young donkey, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So they went where they were sent, and uh, so, so those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their clo cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, this is a, the time in, uh, where Jesus' ministry on earth, his miracles, his teaching, very, they have come to an end for now. And he is entering into Jerusalem for the Easter week, where ultimately he will die and then be resurrected again. And what I want to look at today is how Jesus' entry into Jerusalem here and the way that he goes about it reveals something of how his kingdom advances. And I, I really hope that it's going to strengthen and encourage us in this time and really speak into our circumstances. Now, we all have a friend who, when they are sharing stories, just contains way too much, they include way too much detail that is not of any significance to the story that they are trying to share. They might be sharing this, this wonderful story of how they just rescued someone from a river and they will start by telling you just how many shreddies was in their bowl when they had cereal that morning. And you just think, no, 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 that, that detail is not needed. It, it detracts from the story that you're trying to tell. Luke here, the author, appears to be that friend in this story. That, that half of the narrative seems to be taken up with this kind of weird back and forth of, of administrative detail of how Jesus just happens to get his hands on this young donkey that he then rides in on. And you think, how on earth has this made it into the Bible? Like in this significant moment, this significant event, and it's kind of caught up in toing and froing between a village and how the donkey is got. But what I think we see here significantly is that in verses 30 and 31, Jesus explains just how the, the disciples are going to get these, this donkey. He says to them, look, you go to this village and you'll see a donkey and when you see it, it'll be tied up and then you untie it. And then as you're untying it, the people will say, why are you untying that donkey? And then 
you will say to them, the Lord has need of it, and then that will be the end of the story. And then in verses 32 and through 34, that is exactly what happened. They go to the village, they untie the donkey. Its owners then say to them, why, what are you doing? Why are you untying that donkey? And they say, well, the Lord has need of it. And that is the end of the story. This is just a tiny, small moment. But I think in this, this little episode, we see the, the power and the authority that Jesus had. Notice verse 32, the little detail that Luke concludes right at the end. He says, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. I just love that here Jesus is just showing he is in total and complete control over the whole situation. Every single detail is his. That exactly as he speaks it out, so it happens. I don't know about you, but I find this incredibly refreshing that we are in a time now where uh, we hear people talking, we hear leaders, we hear authorities talking, politicians, experts, and they make predictions. They, they say this is going to happen. They say that's going to happen. And then the next day, it turns out these predictions are very movable and malleable and the goalposts have shifted slightly. And we, we find ourselves in a time where no one even knows what, really what they're talking about, let alone is someone in command, is someone in control of what is going on. But here again, we see Jesus total control over the whole situation. He is not like rulers and authorities that we might know. He's nothing like them. Such is his power, such is his authority and command over the situation that exactly as he speaks and when he speaks, stuff actually happens. Notice how there is no suggestion at all that the owners of this donkey might actually be able to keep hold of it. There's, there's nothing in, Je in Jesus' commands to the disciples that, that kind of caveats for that. There's no chance that the owners might say, actually, you know that donkey that, uh, that you want? It's my donkey. And I would actually quite like to keep hold of said donkey because, you know, it belongs to me. No, Jesus knows that the moment that he says the Lord has need of it, that's it, episode done. That creation is compelled because he has spoken. Creation must fall in line and must obey and submit to the authority that he holds. We see this again in, in verse 40, right at the end, where just this, this wonderful verse, I don't know if you, if you call it, where Jesus said, I tell you, if these, if my disciples, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. That Jesus himself is saying, creation is so completely in my hand that if my disciples didn't worship me, I would find a way to make these inanimate rocks on the floor be able to cry out praise to my glory. I think if there was ever a time that we were to, to know truly just how completely in control Jesus is, it's right now. I think there is a real sense in our culture and in our, the atmosphere that we have been overcome, that we have been overpowered by this invisible force. But if Jesus is able to take a stone and give it a, a little tiny diaphragm 
and, a, and lungs and a voice box and a mouth so that it may worship him, he is able to stop coronavirus with just one word of his power. He has complete command and authority over it. I think this should really encourage us when we come to pray, and we will be as a church next week, that when we pray and we come in his name, we are coming to the one who not only hears our prayers, but he has power and authority, that he, he, everything is in his hands. The whole of the created realm has to submit and obey him. That as we come, we can know, our oh, Jesus, the king that we come to, he can act. And what I find really interesting then about this passage is given his power and his authority, look how he chooses to use it. Jesus could use any, use his power and the creative force that he has over all things to choose any animal, any form of vehicle or, or you know, something to take him into Jerusalem. He could go with a noble steed, he could go Boeing 747, magic carpet, whatever he wanted. And what does he choose? A donkey. A young donkey. A donkey that we read in verse 30 has never yet been ridden. Let's just take a moment to just consider what this would look like. Firstly, you have the proportions of it. A donkey is not a very tall animal anyway to ride on. A young donkey is even less so. And so you put the full weight of a man on this young donkey that could probably only just carry him, and his legs would probably splay out a little bit, and he'd be quite short. And it, just a picture of it, a grown man on a young donkey would look kind of weird. But then chuck into the equation that it has never yet been ridden. So what this means is that the moment that uh, uh, the, the full weight of a man is put on his back, this donkey is going to want to get rid of that lump. And it's going to be shaking, trying to shake Jesus off him. And he's never been ridden. So this means that he has no idea how to respond to commands of stop, go, go left, go right, do a little jump, whatever. He has no idea. He's untrained in those things. So what this, and also another little detail, it's going down a mountain. So what you have is this donkey trying to shake Jesus off, going this way and that way, higgledy-piggledy past, stumbling down a mountain on the weight of a full-grown man that he's never yet experienced and can barely hold. This picture of Jesus coming down on this young donkey that has never been ridden would be, make no mistake about it, quite a ridiculous and embarrassing sight. Just imagine it for a moment. That this one who has all power, all authority, the king of all kings, the way that he chooses to come in, he comes riding in in a way that is, to be honest, so comical and kind of awkward and cringeworthy to look at that you would almost have to look away in embarrassment at what is unfolding. Jesus uses all of his power and all of his authority to enter in in the weakest and most humiliating way that he possibly could. And as we have this picture of Jesus 
in our minds. The crowd start proclaiming him, verse 38, as the king. They say, blessed is the king. And here as we look at this Jesus picture, we have a picture of Jesus the king. And he's showing us something about his kingdom. The king is revealing his kingdom even in the way that he's coming into Jerusalem. He is embodying his kingdom. This king who has all power, all authority, whose kingdom is unmatching, unmatchable, unshakable, will be never ending, is eternal. This vast and strong kingdom with every step, every stumbling, awkward step that this donkey takes. We are seeing how this vast kingdom is advanced and breaks in and is established by weakness. This donkey was a premeditated decision by Jesus. This is not just the, what Jesus was left with. This wasn't the one that kind of Jesus making the best of a, of a bad situation where I, slightly better than walking, so I guess I'll ride on it. This wasn't what he was left with after all the other messiahs. Like, oh, they've taken all of the best things that I could have ridden on and now I'm stuck with this donkey and a, a blooming young donkey at that. No, this was what Jesus chose. This is his moment of glory, his moment of triumph, entering into Jerusalem. And his first choice was that he actively and intentionally chose the weeks to show his glory. That's exactly what we heard earlier in Rob's testimony. I love that story so much that the glory and the power of the kingdom of God came to pass in Rob's body to heal his teeth. And how did it happen? Through the prayer of a two-year-old. It's almost like Jesus was waiting for the, the prayer of the weakest one to come so that he could use that weak prayer to break in in power. I just think that there is such comfort and strength for us here. That Jesus really, really does love to show his power and his strength and his glory in the midst of weakness. This really is the, the kingdom message that the king has come to proclaim the good news that comes out of his mouth is that it is through weakness, it is through humiliation, the weakness and the humiliation of the cross, that we inherit the eternal riches of the resurrection. That it is only through death that we can receive true life. And maybe this time for you, it really is the the weakest period in your life that you have ever experienced. Financial insecurity, worrying about food maybe for the first time in your life. Perhaps a, a crippling loneliness that's just overcome you in the last few weeks. Well, if there's one place that the weak are welcome, it's in the kingdom of God that I think he is using this time actually for all of us to strip us right back, to make us feel our weakness, to make us aware of our own 
weakness, that the things that we were so used to and trusted in, without even really knowing it, they have been taken down, showing us our weakness, so that in our weakness, he can build his kingdom, that the strength and the power of his way and his plan can come to bear in our lives. And I know for all of us, I know this for myself personally, the temptation in this time is just to try and just think, I am going to just try and get through this time somehow. I'm just going to try and distract myself through it. Just social media, I'm just going to just Netflix my way through this uh, isolation period until things return to normal. But I just want to encourage us. I think God is using this in us to, to take us into a place of weakness so that we can see his strength. So that we can know his strength at work in us. And that he would have us draw near to him and, and find time to pray to him and find time to, to sit in silence just with our thoughts and, and with him, which may be one of the last things that you want to do because the, the, the feeling of being on my own in silence is just too terrifying with all the anxiety and with all of the uncertainty around. But I think he's inviting us near to him so that we can see him and be strengthened by him in a new way. I'd even think that kind of in, in fasting as we do that next week, that that's exactly what he would have us do, that as we intentionally choose a time of, if you like, physical weakening, that we will know the, the strengthening, strengthening and the fortifying of our souls and our spirits in it. Yesterday, I went to the supermarket and for me, it was really the first time that I had the reality of this situation hit home for me in, in a significant way that the, the two meter queuing outside the, the supermarket the, then when you get in the supermarket it's just eerily quiet but at the same time it's just you, you're trying to sort of weave around people and keep your distance and there's no eye contact people are kind of innately suspicious of one another it was just such a bizarre time that just made me think I, I just I, I hate this and I feel so so weak and so powerless to be able to do anything about it and I found myself just thinking, Jesus, just one word, just one word from you and all of this finishes and, and we, we can return to something so much better and go into a place so much greater. But obviously I was right in the midst of thinking about this and, and just realised it really is just not Jesus' way that he, would, he often enters in just through force. That he really does choose weakness to come in in these kind of situations. That he displays his strength through the weakness of his people to display his manifest glory. It reminded me of the, um, the time in Acts chapter eight that we looked at at the church last year, um, where the, the power and the glory of the gospel starts to go out amongst the areas around Jerusalem for the very first time. And it's not, because of any great strategy or thinking from the church, no great leadership displayed by them, it all happens because of persecution. Because they are being scattered, they are being, they are being arrested, they are being killed for their faith, and the church is under pressure. Jesus waited for the, his people to be in a place of, of fear and of feeling lost and feeling disoriented. And it's from that place that he then chose the power of his gospel to start to really make an impact in the surrounding area. 
These are the kind of conditions that Jesus loves to use for the advance of his kingdom. The weak things, people in fear, people hurting, people disoriented. And as a church, as we feel weakened, as we perhaps feel anxious, we perhaps feel shaken, this is a time where God will choose to use us for his power and his glory. He will use this time to build his church. He'll use it to build Revelation Church. He'll use it to build his church in Manchester. He's going to use this time to save people, to heal people, for the power of his gospel to go out in this city, to go out beyond. He will use this time for, to, to win people to himself. He will use it to continue to see a city change for his glory and for his sovereign purposes. He will turn this evil situation and he will use it for his good. But do you want to know the, the really good news in there? Is that it's through weakness that he is the one who will build his kingdom. I don't know about you, but when I hear things like that, of, oh, God is going to use this situation and it's a, it's a unique opportunity that God's going to use. I start to feel and start to, to feel a sense of obligation and pressure on myself. I start to feel like, oh, I need to do something. I need to, uh, I don't know, start reaching out to my neighbours. I need to start talking to my family about the gospel. I need to start some kind of ministry on Facebook so that people can get saved. Like if, this, if God's going to use this, I need to kind of kick myself into gear. Now, all of those things are good and right things, but in the correct order. Now, what God would want us to see from this is that the expansion of his kingdom from this place of weakness is totally on him. He is the one. He is the king that is on his throne. He is the one that will take complete responsibility for establishing and building his kingdom. He is the one who will take us from weakness into a position of strength. He is the one who will use this position of weakness and turn it into something that builds his church. I love exactly how he says it to Peter in Matthew's gospel. He says to him, I will build my church. And in this, I, I think we receive grace once again. That we do not have to make ourselves into kingdom builders at this time. We don't have to try and make ourselves into gospel advancers. That what Jesus is going to do and Jesus will do is that he will take us in our weakness, despite our many, many failures, many, many failings and deficiencies. And somehow, because he is sovereign and because he is glorious, he will work in those things, work through us and use our lives for his glory. That he is the one that will make it happen. He is the one who will build his kingdom and as we recognize this and as we receive this once again that the pressure is not on us that he is going to use a hurting and broken church for glorious and wonderful purposes our only response can be that of which we see in, in the disciples i just i just love it I, in verse 37 it says as he was drawing near as jesus was coming down the mountain the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Then they just erupt in worship 
and rejoicing and praise for what they recognise as their king, for the one that they see before them, the sovereign Lord God of all the universe. This should be our response. This is the only thing that Jesus asks of us at this time, is that we would come to him in worship and adoration. And as we do, we will be changed. And as we, as we do, we will receive motivation to reach out to those around us. His promise to us is that as we are at our weakest, he will show himself to be the most powerful the most glorious, the most worthy of praise. He has all authority. And his invitation to us is simply to come to him in, in worship, come to him in praise, come to him and adore his name. And as we do, to watch and just watch as he gets glory for himself, as he makes his church more and more beautiful, even in this time. And he shows the, the strength of his arm in this time of weakness. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are the sovereign king in control of all things, with all power and all strength in your hands. And we thank you that as the king of strength, you choose weakness. You choose the, the weak ones of this world. You choose a two-year-old. You choose me. You choose us to build your kingdom. And that as we experience weakness, as we feel weak, as we feel shaken, we feel anxious, we thank you that in that place, that is the place that you can come and apply the, the glorious gospel of strength in weakness to our hearts. And we thank you that in our weakness, as a, as a weakened church, as a scattered church, in a sense, you are able to work through us, not demanding anything of us, not putting pressure on us, but in your sovereign and powerful king, kingdom ways, you are able to build your church, even in these desperate and weak situations that we find ourselves in. So we ask King Jesus, would you get yourself glory? Would you use Revelation Church to, to build your kingdom and establish your ways in Manchester? We look forward to seeing the, the manifold ways that you're at work in this time, the things that we cannot see. We rejoice in the shoots of encouragement of people being healed, of, of stories of people coming to faith or, or, or wanting to come along to church in the online space. But Father, we, we know there's so much more going on. And so we look forward to seeing your manifold wisdom and glory at work in your church in the coming days, weeks and months as you carry us through this time. Amen.